right, let's go before the Lord and ask for His help as we seek to open up His Word and see His glory. Father, we come before You now as we are set to look into Your Word, look into Psalm 19 and see the wonderful truths that You have for us here. Father, they are huge. They are massive. And I ask that You would be with each of us, that You would open our minds, that You would open our hearts, You would give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear Your glory. I ask that You would be with me now as I stand before Your people and proclaim Your Word to them. Help me as this is not about me. May I forget myself and be all about You and Your Word. May they see You shining forth. Father, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for the truths that are here. And I pray that in looking at these truths, we would sing, we would rejoice in them. This is what I ask and pray for. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So for this Sunday and next Sunday, I have the privilege of going over Psalm 19 with you. This morning, we will be meditating on verses 1 to 6, and then next Sunday, we will be meditating on verses 7 to 14. And what we are going to be especially focusing in on in this psalm is the glory of God. Specifically, this morning, the glory of God in His creation, and then the glory of God in His Word. Now, these are also known to use theological terms. General revelation, which refers to creation. You may have heard these before. And then special revelation, which refers to God's Word. And to make sure that we're all on the same page as we go over these, as I talk to you about about them, I want to give a quick definition of each of them. So, what do we mean when we say general revelation? When we talk about general general revelation, we are referring to how God has made Himself known in a universal way. Big picture. Universal. And we're going to get into that word a little bit more later on. This means that everything you experience in creation speaks about God in a way. However, to personally know God, we need something more, which leads us to special revelation. Special revelation is when God directly makes Himself known. And you can think about it like this. This may be a helpful illustration. If you, or when you, look at the art of an artist, and it doesn't have to be paintings, it could be drawings, it could be music, or whatever art you can think of. When you look at that person's art, you can see in it a part of them. It is an extension of them. Remember Mike was kind of unfolding this in the three-part series that he was going through before he left. So when you look at these things, you can see something about that person, and that is like general revelation. When you look out into creation, you can see, in a way, parts of God, His character, His personality, things like that. But when that artist, when that person begins to personally speak to you and tell you about 
their self, that is special revelation. That is what God has done in His Word. And that's what we'll be going over next week. But for now, let's turn our attention to verses 1 to 6. Let's read these together. I'll be starting in verse 1. Psalm Psalm 19, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So within these six verses that we just read together, David is meditating on and rejoicing in God's creation. Namely, he is meditating and rejoicing in the sky, the heavens, This is what he is mainly talking about in this psalm. But we are going to lump in all of creation because the same song that the sky, that the heavens declare, that they sing, all of creation sings. It all proclaims the glory of God. And so we are going to be talking about all of creation within these six verses because it is true of all creation. So within these six verses, what does David want us to see in creation? Well, he lays out four truths. And if you are a note taker, you may want to write these down because these four truths are where we are going to be spending our time together. So he says, first, that creation is all about the glory of God. And I'm getting that from verse 1. Second, he says that creation reveals the glory of God constantly. That's coming from verse 2. And third, he says, all people can experience this. Therefore, all are accountable. That's coming from verses 3 and 4. And then fourth, he says, creation rejoices in making known the glory of God. That comes from verses 4 through 6. So what I want to do for the remainder of our time is go through each of these four truths and unpack them. And my main goal in unpacking these truths is that we would be confronted with the glory of God in creation in a fresh way. And then, in being confronted with His glory, we would, as David does, rejoice. That we would sing. So the first truth that David lays out. Creation is all about the glory of God. Have you ever thought about why creation is so beautiful, so fascinating, so captivating? Or what is so special about a sunrise or a sunset? The fact that people wake up very early in the morning to see this. Or why people take trips and spend large amounts of money and time to see beautiful sights. What is it about creation that makes us want to just stare at it, to study it, to 
Stand in awe of it. David has thought deeply about all of those questions, besides maybe the vacation one. I don't know if people in that time period took vacations. I don't know. But anyways, he has thought deeply about these things. He has considered the beauty of creation and says that the reason it is so beautiful, the reason it is so captivating, is because it declares and it proclaims glory. And not just any glory. It proclaims the glory of God. It screams it. It screams the glory of God. It does not say, look at me for the sake of me. It's saying, look at me to see past me to the one who made me. So the reason why you and I are captivated is because they proclaim God's glory. Whenever we look out in creation and we see its beauty, we are seeing a small, very small glimpse of what it is like to behold the beauty of God. Because all things flow from the beauty of God. God is absolute beauty. And what I mean by that word, absolute, is that His beauty is total. It is complete. He lacks in nothing. And so... That is what I mean by saying He is absolute beauty. It all flows from Him. It all reflects Him in a way, in a dim mirror, you could say. And there's also some other things that creation reveals to us about God. Not only His beauty, but it reveals to us His creativity. And the first thing that I thought about Whenever I was going over these, I was trying to think of all the things that creation reveals to us about God is the moment I would be standing here before you. As I look out, I see a multitude of faces. You all look very different. Okay, you may say, what about identical twins? They may look the same, but their personalities are very different. Your personality is very different from my personality. You have different quirks that I don't have. You may be OCD in some things. So, you are the way you are because of God's creativity. That's a mind bender. You have creativeness because of God's creativeness. Creation also reveals to us His skill. So again, thinking about yourself. As you sit here, you are listening to me with what we call ears. Sound goes in, it goes in through your brain, makes signals, sends them to wherever they go, and you understand what I'm talking about. And not only that, but there are thousands of languages that do the same thing, and they're all very different. You have different ethnicities. They all proclaim and speak to who God is. He is a God of variety. Creation talks about His vastness. It speaks His vastness. The first thing that you think when you look at the Grand Canyon or when you see Mount Everest or you see the vastness of the ocean or when you look up at the night sky and you see billions upon billions of stars, you don't think to yourself, man, I'm something. It's more like... Get out of the picture. You're in the way. You know? 
You're not thinking about you at that moment. Creation reveals His majesty. You think about all of the animals that God has created. You think about uh, the grizzly bear. I mean, such power within an animal. Majestic in how they walk. They care for their young and other animals. You have the whales that swim through the ocean, that just play in it. And other magnificent creatures that God has put on this earth. Creation speaks of His wisdom. I want you to think about the complexity of... We talked about the human body. Now I want you to think about everything. So at this moment, not only is certain things going on within you so that you can live, but there are certain things going on without. We have a certain gravitational pull on the earth that if it was slightly changed, we would either float into the sky or we would be crushed. And also, we are on a planet that right now is revolving around a big ball of fire. And if we were too far, we would freeze. If we were too close, we would burn. Also, there are other planets, stars, that are also hung in the sky. And God knows them all by name. He has named all of them. Billions upon billions of stars that are light years upon light years away. He knows them by name. Creation tells of His power. I especially love this one because the first thing I think of is thunder. I think of lightning. If it wasn't for the fear of being struck by lightning, I would stand outside and watch it. But since lightning splits things in half, blows things up, it's not a very good idea. It's not a very good idea. So I remember one time I was asleep in my bed. There's a thunderstorm going on. I was, I was dead asleep. I remember hearing the crack of lightning. I remember before my face, blue flashed and my house shook. And then I felt fear of that big oak tree that's in my backyard falling on me. So when you look at creation, God is giving you a peek. Remember, just a peek at who He is. He is showing you what it is like to see and to know Him. The next truth that, God, that David puts before us is that creation reveals the glory of God constantly. So not only does it declare and proclaim the glory of God, but it does this constantly. It never stops. Day and night, David says, it pours forth speech and reveals knowledge. So there isn't and nor has there ever been a moment when creation was not declaring and proclaiming the glory of God. From the moment it was put into creation, put into being, the moment He has created it, it has poured forth speech and revealed knowledge about its Maker. The same moon that you see at night, the same sun that you saw this morning and can see now, is the same moon, the same sun that David saw when he wrote these very words. Throughout all of history, it proclaims the glory of God. And it's really interesting how David describes creation doing all of this. Look at the words he's been using and is going to use again. He says, declare, proclaim, pours out speech, reveals knowledge. It's like he's saying creation talks, like it has a voice, like it speaks to us. 
in a way. And I think that's exactly what he's trying to say because in verses 3 and 4, he tells us that although there are no actual words, creation, when you walk outside, is not going to be uh, begin to communicate to you with words. It's not going to talk to you. Trees don't talk. The sun does not sing to you in words. However, it does say something, and that's what David is trying to get across. There is nowhere that their voice is not heard. It goes out through all the earth and to the end of the world. So not only does it speak a language, but it speaks it constantly and it speaks it universally. That's where that word we were talking about earlier comes in. God has revealed Himself universally in His creation through these things. So what kind of wordless language does creation speak? It speaks the language of sight. You can, when you walk outside, behold with your eyes the beauty of creation. You can see the sun. You can see the trees. You can see the grass. You can see the blue sky. You can see the clouds and all of the other things that we've been talking about. It speaks the language of sound. You can hear with your ears the beauty of creation. You can hear music. You can hear not only music that is played by humans, but you can hear the songs of birds and of other animals that sing. It speaks the language of taste. And I know all of you know this one because we all love food, right? You all love to eat food. And as I was thinking about this one, I like oatmeal. But just imagine if you had to eat oatmeal every day for all three meals. It would be very old, right? It would just kind of begin to look to you like a bunch of mush. Okay, well, God didn't have to be creative and make a variety of foods. He could have just put something along the lines of like manna, what we were talking about this morning in Sunday school. And you could just eat that every day to just be sustained. To help you live, you just eat oatmeal for the rest of your life. Be very boring and very just blah. But God hasn't done that. You have a variety of food, and each food bursts with its own unique flavor. It speaks the language of smell. So not only do these foods have unique tastes, they have unique smells. You can smell the food that you are eating. You can smell the variety of flowers. You can smell the rain. You can smell certain trees. They all have different smells to them. So creation speaks to us through our five senses. Also touch. It speaks to us through touch. And this one can be very personal. So you can experience creation through the touch of your wife, of your husband, of your children. You can experience and feel relationships, the marriage relationship. You can experience the child-parent relationship, the fellowship of a family, the fellowship of friends. God speaks to us through creation, through our five senses. And now I want to, just for a brief moment, I don't want to, for a drawn-out period of time, talk about this. But all of those things that we've been talking about, I want you to now think about the lie of evolution. So according to evolution... 
All of those things that I just told you don't mean squat. What you're seeing with your eyes is just a bunch of chemicals coming together and it's called beautiful. What you touch, what you taste, what you hear, what you smell, what you see is nothing. It came from nothing. Its purpose is pointless. It started for no reason and it's going nowhere. So the experience that you have with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your family is just there. It's just something you call love. It's just something you call happiness. It's stupid. The Bible says it is. The man who says there is no God is a epitome of a fool. The foolish man says in his heart there is no God. That is a hellish lie. And Satan laughs as he deceives people every day with it. Things like that are what cause untold numbers of unborn children to be killed every day. Things like that are what cause races of people to be annihilated. But according to evolution, who cares? You know, it's not really a big deal. In fact, Adolf Hitler was kind of, you know, helping evolution along. They are less than me. So we should just wipe them off the face of the earth and we should continue to evolve into bigger, stronger, better people. So just think of that. I want you to consider those things deeply because although we live in the Bible Belt South, they are slowly creeping in and they will become to get stronger. And if you do not think deeply on them, you will not be prepared to answer. And you will not be prepared to consider and think through these things. So back to where we were going. Creation speaks to us through the experience of all five senses. Not ten, five. And I named them to you. I gave you an example of each of them. So every person can experience this, right? Every person has the five senses. They can all experience it, which leads us to our third truth that David lays out. Creation reveals the glory of God universally. Therefore, all stand accountable. Since every person anywhere in the world can see and experience to an extent, to an extent, God's glory means that every person stands accountable. It doesn't matter if they've never heard of Jesus. It doesn't matter if they have never read the Bible. It does not matter if they have ever heard someone talk about the God of the Bible. They stand accountable. Now, I realize that what I just said is huge and may make God seem unjust, but that is not the case. And I want to help you see why. So please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing this letter to the Christians who are in Rome. And what he's doing at this point of the letter is he is 
making his argument to these people that every person is guilty before God because they are sinful. And not only are they guilty before God, but they stand accountable because God has revealed Himself to all people. So starting in verse 18, I'm going to read to you. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And as I'm reading this, I want you to hold in your minds what we've been talking about. Psalm 19. So picture in your mind Psalm 19 as I'm reading. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And I'll stop there. But the argument continues. He continues this argument all the way to chapter 3, where he makes this summary statement, Therefore, all people fall short of the glory of God. They all fall short. So, could you see Psalm 19 coming out of what Paul was saying? Paul has picked up on what David has said in Psalm 19, and he is reinforcing this truth to the people of God, showing that all people are accountable. Paul very clearly shows that God has revealed Himself in some way to all people. He says that for what can be known about God is plain to them. It is plainly before them in His creation because it is speaking to them. It is proclaiming God's glory to them every day, constantly, 24-7. So, why do people still reject the truth. That is the massive question within all of that. If they can see God in His creation, why do they reject the truth? And what Paul is showing us is that people are not physically incapable of seeing it. So we don't have some kind of physical disability. That would mean that we would have an excuse. I mean, you could stand before God and say, well, if I wasn't like this, then I would have seen you. I would have believed. Paul's saying, no, no, no. The point is, is that people don't want to see God. That's what suppressing the truth in Romans chapter 1 means. That's what he means when he says people suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. They see before them God and they say, I don't want you. Get away. I want me. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. That's what Adam and Eve did when they rejected God. They said, we want to be God. The serpent said, in eating the fruit, you will be like God. And that's what they grasped onto. I want to be my own person. 
So people do not see God because they're physically incapable. They don't see God because they don't want to. And I want to give you a couple of biblical examples of this. The Bible lays this out very clearly. So the first example that I want to go to are the people of Israel. And this is not a concentrated situation. Remember, the people of Israel did this constantly over a long period of time. God is showing in these situations, in these examples, the sinful heart of man. So, the people of Israel. God chose the people of Israel above all peoples, right? Not because of who they were, not because of what they've done, but because of His sovereign mercy. He rescued them out of Egypt through the marvelous ten plagues. He brought them out. He took them through the Red Sea. Remember, He splits the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. And they get on the other side and they complain. They go further. They go into the wilderness. God continues to work marvelous things before their eyes. Remember, they are physically seeing this with their eyes. God is putting Himself in marvelous ways before them. And they continually reject it. They continually say, no, we want what we want and how we want it. Now, there are certain people like Moses and other leaders that God worked on especially to draw Him to Himself. But again, that's because of His sovereign mercy, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But the majority of these people continued to reject God, even though they had miracles. They had marvelous things put before them, and they still reject God. The second example that I want to bring up to you, the people in Jesus' day. So God in the flesh comes down to earth. He dwells in human form, 100% man, 100% God. He stands before people for around 30 years. People watch Him. They talk to Him. They live with Him. They watch Him do signs and miracles like no other. He teaches in ways that they've never heard. They say that. They say, I've never heard a man talk like this before. But what do they do? They see all of these things. They comprehend them. But they end up crucifying Him. They totally reject God. So, were they physically incapable of seeing these things? No. They saw them. They interacted with Him. He physically put Himself before them. And they still rejected Him. People don't want God because they don't want to see God. Since creation speaks constantly to people, reveals Himself, but they reject Him, how do people get saved? How does God save people? Sinful, sinful people like you and me. Turn to John 6. John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we see the Lord Jesus Christ teaching the people of Israel. And you can uh, turn your eyes to verse 35. That's where I'm going to start reading. But in John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the multitude. He feeds the multitude. He leaves. They come looking for Him. And when they come looking for Him, they approach Jesus. And Jesus says to them, You are seeking Me not because you saw signs, not because you saw wonders. You are seeking Me because you ate your fill of the bread. 
And he tells them not to be seeking the food that just satisfies for a moment. He says, seek the bread that will satisfy you for all eternity. And they begin to ask him, give us his bread always. And then he begins to lay out what that bread looks like. He begins to say, I am the bread of life. And starting in verse 35, I'll read. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Talking about Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So within that passage, there's a lot of back and forth going, right? Jesus is saying, believe. Believe in what I'm telling you. Believe in me. I am the bread of life. But you will not believe unless the Father draws you. You cannot truly see me unless the Father leads you to me, begins to work in you, and shows me to you as I actually am. So what we have here is the sovereignty of God in salvation, and at the very same time, the responsibility of man in believing. Now, all the details of how these things work and come together are not put before us. And there's a reason why. You are not God. I am not God. God is not accountable to us. He is not on the hot seat, I guess you could say, to unfold how He does everything. But Jesus plainly lays this out. People will believe when God supernaturally breaks through their resistance, their suppression of His truth, and grips their hearts. But, He also calls them to believe. And that means that we all are not exempt from sharing with our mouths and with our actions the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Some people will say, oh well, God's showing His creation, His uh, glory through creation. Constantly. I ain't gotta share the gospel. That's your fault. Quit suppressing the truth. It don't work like that. We share the gospel praying and asking for the supernatural work of God through it. That's how all of this works out. So what happens whenever people come to see the truth? When God breaks through their resistance and sees 
Him as He is. Sees creation as it is. That's the fourth truth that David lays out for us. He says, Creation rejoices in making known the glory of God. And I want to read these couple of verses to you as soon as I get back there. Starting at the end of verse 4. He says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. What David is doing here is he is poetically grasping for words, trying to show us what creation is actually doing. He says it is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. So, what is a bridegroom like whenever he's leaving his chamber? Bridegroom just means husband. So it's on his wedding day, he is leaving his chamber to meet his bride. It's the happiest day of his life, right? He is about to enter into a new way of living with the person, with the woman that he loves. That's what, that's what the sun is like every day. Every morning it comes up, it's singing the praises of God. Like a bridegroom is singing when he goes to meet his wife. And also, he says, it's like a strong man who runs his course with joy. So picture a strong man running. He has trained for hours upon hours for this race. He crosses the finish line. He rejoices. So it is with everything in creation. Every day. It never gets old. Every day it sings like the bridegroom, like the strong man. It is proclaiming to you His glory. And when you become a believer, when God breaks into your spiritual hard-heartedness, you can see this. You can see this happening before your eyes. That's why people want to see the sunset, like we were talking about earlier. You know, waking up early to see the sunset, to see the bright orange ball of fire come over the horizon and just paint the sky before your eyes. This is what the spiritual man sees when he looks at creation. This is what he beholds every day when he actively in a meditating way with the Word of God sees in creation. Now I opened the service this morning reading from Psalm 96. I want you to turn there again. Psalm 96. I'm not going to read the the whole psalm to you again. I just want to read verses 1 to 6. Remember, this is what the spiritual man sees. Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Every day is a new song. Every day. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. I especially want you to 
see this verse right here. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. So what were we talking about earlier? We said that when you see creation in all of its fullness, and all of its beauty, the most beautiful thing that you could ever comprehend is just a very small glimpse of what it is like to see and to know God. Splendor and majesty are before Him. He is clothed in it. That's what He wears. He wears splendor. He wears majesty. He is clothed with holiness, transcendent above all things. Like in the book of Isaiah, when he sees the vision of God in the temple, the seraphim, they say, they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is high and lifted up. So, and I'm working to a close. What do you see, church family, when you behold creation? Every day. Every day you see it. You behold it. As you drive to work, as you work in your yard, as you do whatever. You don't have to be in some marvelous place to see God's creation. I saw it this morning walking up the road. Come out of my yard. I have the grass. I have the trees. I get on the road. I have more trees. I have a field beside me. I hear the birds. I see the blue sky. I see the white church. I see a graveyard. I see the sun shining forth. And whenever it feels better, I can feel the wind. I can feel the cool breeze. Now I feel the heat. I feel the radiating sun on my body. Then the sweat pouring from me. (laughs) But what do you see? What do you long for when you see those things? They are speaking about Jesus. Because He is, as we have gone over for the last few Sundays, He is the Creator of all things. The Holy Trinity, through the image and the character and the personality, the face of Christ, shines forth. Not making less of the Father or the Spirit, but they all are pleased to shine forth in the person of Jesus. When you see creation, it is showing you what Jesus is like. When you feel, when you experience beauty, when you feel and experience, like we were talking about, the embrace of your family, your loved one, those things, it is showing you what the embrace of Christ is like in a very, very small way. So think about that. Think about that daily whenever you go about your average, very mundane life. It's singing before you. It's crying out, grabbing for your attention. Don't be people who just passively look at things. I think that is one downfall of our uh, generation today. Television. Television can be used for great things, but it's a very passive entertainment. You just sit there and it just kind of comes before you. Okay, Be an active 
looker. Be actively looking at creation because it is speaking to you the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, to personally know Him, God has given us His Word. Not only is God so merciful that He declares in all of creation, but He has given us this. And that is what we are going to be looking at next week. Let's pray. Father, as we close today, we thank You for Your tremendous mercy that You have given to us. All of creation declares, proclaims, pours forth speech, reveals knowledge to all of us every day. Father, help us to see, to be ministered to by Your creation. Help us in seeing the beauty of Your creation to behold and to delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name I ask and pray these things. Amen.